So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built-in microwave, semicolon. Uh, I don't, what are, what are we calling this? Strange intervals of time. Great. Um, that's funny considering we're having trouble <laughs> syncing up our timing anyway, just to get the, get yes. the audio lined up. Um, yeah, so let's do <laughs> this. But the first strange interval of time is the amount of time it takes you to sync your audio when you're 170 miles apart right. <laughs> and trying to do a podcast. Yeah. So, um, I'm Ned and this is Meg and we are doing another remote podcast and hopefully by the time you're listening to this, things are, are looking up and people are having some sense of what we're doing next to recover from this, uh, the pandemic. But um, if you're not and you're still at home listening to this, uh, we're here. We're doing it. So um, so wash your hands still, even if you're out and about, keep, especially if you're out and about. Keep washing them. Keep washing yeah. them. That's just a, advice for life. Living well and health. That should be a tip. Wash your hands. <laughs> just for wash your hands that's yeah, it a tip for uh, living well in hell is wash your hands <laughs> yeah wash your hands okay so um this one is about uh strange intervals in time and what do we mean by that so we're gonna just kind of chat about the unusual ways in which we mark the passage of time in our lives and and marking putting a flag in a start and stop period of time is what essentially creates the boundaries for an interval of time. And so an interval of time could be, for instance, one year, the time it takes the earth to circle the sun completely, or um, an interval of time is the amount of time you have to wait outside of a store to be let in so that the population inside the store is not so high that everyone gets a transmissible disease. Right. (laughs) Which is a new thing. Right. Um, and so now that we're all sort of on strange time schedules or a lack thereof, I guess, um, I just, we've been chatting around doing this topic for a while because every once in a while we'll notice a strange interval of time in our own lives, something that marks the passage of time or a cyclical passage of time. And so I started sort of collecting ideas on a, on a note document, um, some of them are ours, uh, mine and yours, and some of them are things that other people have pointed out to us or described to us. Um, and so it just seemed like a, a good time to do this podcast because it's actually relevant to current events as opposed to just a weird thing that we've been thinking about for a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, w- when, when you first proposed this, I kind of thought about all the, all the things probably are fairly relatable to most people. Um, Things like doing laundry, you know, the time it takes for the laundry, you know, the washing machine to finish doing a load or the, just the general period of time it takes to do like one, one cycle of laundry or, um, Mm -hmm. if you, especially if you have routine in your life, like, um, you know, eating dinner maybe with your loved ones every night or even by yourself, if you're kind of in a routine there, it might be the interval it takes to, um, you know, prepare the meal, eat the meal, finish the meal and wash up afterwards. That kind of the, yeah, these sort of these intervals of time that are not as strict as say, um, you know, a standard, like a second or a minute or a year or, you know, something like that. A um, day. A yeah. Day, um, yeah, totally. 
um, I tend to notice these things. Um, I tend to notice the larger cycles more easily, I think, because, um, the, the event that creates the start and stop of a, of an interval is usually something, um, that stands out from my routine. Like for instance, uh, there's, I usually make breakfast around eight o'clock in the morning or something like that. Right. Yeah. So the interval of time from one breakfast to the, to the next is usually around 20 to 24 hours. Um, right. maybe more, maybe less, but it's something that happens so frequently that I don't really, uh, the, the, the actual passage of time from one instance to the next that bookends the interval is so brief that it doesn't stick out to me. Whereas for instance, here's a gross one. Speaking of breakfast, um, I usually, I usually scoop my cat's cat box whenever I think of it. Like I don't, I don't do it every other day or something like that on an arbitrary timeline. I just do it whenever I think of it, whenever I walk past it because I want to keep it really clean because yeah. we live with cat and I don't want the whole house to be filthy and disgusting, even though it probably is. And I'm just eluding myself. But the point is every once in a while, it's not enough just to scoop it. I just dump the whole box and like clean it out and refill it with fresh litter. Um, maybe once every three or four times I have to buy cat litter but whenever it happens, I'm like, I should write this down because I wonder if it's the same length of time between when it's super, super clean and when it's so dirty, I'm like, let's just start over again. Right. Like if you trigger um, fairly regularly on that, like in a regular interval. Yeah. yeah. Or like the amount of time it takes me to go through an entire bottle of bleach. Sometimes it's really quick because I do like a whole house cleaning and I put it in the shower stall and I put it in the toilet and the sinks and I let it sit and then I flush it down or whatever. Right. And so then I'll use a large volume of bleach because I've got a lot of simultaneous uses going on for sure. it. Or most of the time it takes me quite a while because I just put a tiny little bit in the whites of our laundry. So like I just, it, these things you could see a strange set of cycles and time intervals if you started recording them. Um, and I'm sort of a type A person, so I pay attention to things like this. Like, how, I, if I if I open this new bottle of bleach today, I know I'm gonna sometime in the next three weeks, I'm gonna have to buy bleach again. It's, this is how I think of these things. So, right. it's it's stuff that's like really pedestrian and like utilitarian. Like, um, how long can you go without toilet paper? That without buying more toilet paper, that's another one. Sure. I have managed to go over a month with just the toilet paper we bought before all of this craziness started. Right. Um, yeah, I've kind of been the same way. Um, and I think that's definitely an interesting interval. Like, how long does it take you to go through one roll of toilet paper? Like, those kinds of things. Not like, I'm not right. asking you as in I want to know the details. I'm just saying, this, these are the, <laughs> this is definitely the intervals that we're talking about, these sort of strange time intervals. Um, I, yeah, the things you wouldn't normally measure your life by, but yeah. now you're confronted with them every day and it's the only thing going on in your life maybe is like, how close are we to running out of toilet paper? How many days has it been? Right, like, right. <laughs> just, I like, um, I like how we kind of, how this topic came up. Um, and I'll prompt you, but you should probably tell the story because it was, it was your conversation with a mutual friend of ours. And I love the comparison yes. between two intervals that she was talking about when this happened. Um, that this right. Kind of came so our friend um, had a baby and right after the baby was born, they realized, oh, she goes to sleep if you put her in a car seat and drive her around in a car. And so oftentimes <laughs> they have a Tesla and so it's not like you're burning gas. Um, 
so it was easy enough to charge up the car. She would get in the car and then she would call me on the phone and have conversations with me because driving around in the car was the only time that she could reliably get the kid to sleep and therefore have free time enough and quiet time enough that she could hold a conversation. And so <laughs> we hadn't spoken to each other in a couple of weeks or something. And uh, we had a lot of stuff that we wanted to talk about. And so she's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you from the car while I'm with a friend of mine who I'm helping move a refrigerator. And what we're going to do is drive the kid around in the car. And I'll be able to talk with you the whole time we're driving. But as soon as we arrive where we're going, which is the destination with this refrigerator that we're moving, the car is going to stop. And we're going to have a very limited amount of time to exit the car move the refrigerator and get back in the car before the kid starts crying again. And so the interval of time became the amount of time you have to accomplish a task before the kid wakes up in the car that is no longer moving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was like maybe two or three minutes. And so somebody would sit in the car, like our friend got out and ran and like did the chore with the refrigerator with the people who had the refrigerator while the other person kept the, you know, the car was stayed with the car and the kid. And then, <laughs> <laughs> there was all the noise of the kid crying yeah. and then she got back in the car and as soon as the car moved again like oh kid stops crying great now we can talk again <laughs> oh, that's great that's super great um, yeah and they were in the bay area too so this is another one oh my god this reminds me of a weird interval of time so um the it's impossible to drive anywhere in the bay area in a reasonable amount of time like san francisco is like seven miles across and i shit you not it took us three hours to cross it one day in traffic so she was going from yeah. the san francisco side to the oakland side and back again and so our conversations were sort of bookended by an interval of time of about three hours total and within that interval it was subdivided into three periods a talking period of about an hour and 25 minutes a five yep. minute period where she was moving her refrigerator and a kid was crying. And then the other hour and a half that they were driving back from Oakland to San Francisco with this fridge and the kid was quiet in the car again. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. So, yeah, yeah. um, to, to wit, a strange interval of time that I experience in San Francisco quite frequently is the amount of time it's going to take me to be desperate enough to attempt to find a bathroom because I have to pee that bad. Right. And I drink, I drink like a gallon of water a day. So going to the bathroom is something that I pee hourly, maybe, maybe over two hours, something like that. Yeah. It's a lot. And so a place like the Bay Area in San Francisco is a terrible place to be oh, at any yes. time. Yeah. If you're a person who uses the bathroom frequently, because nobody in California will let you use a bathroom for any reason. Even if there was a direct bat phone to 911 and you were having an arterial bleed in the parking lot, they'd be like, sorry, you can't use the bathroom. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, well, for me, I, like, I mean, that's the, my experience in the Bay Area. Um, I don't find I have that experience yeah. in San Diego um, or, or. No, really, San Diego is completely different. Yeah, or Northern California, at least the parts that I've traveled in. But um, for some reason, San Francisco or Bay Area definitely has that. Um, I. Yeah, I, I don't know why that's relevant. Uh, the oh, so but <laughs> intervals of time, um, and so I think I want to just kind of bring this around to the concept of why this might be important, especially in the idea of like designing things or um, thinking mm -hmm. about design in general. Um, yeah, uh, you know, intervals of time. We're talking about like periods, um, and things can be periodic, whether it's like a repeating pattern or it's um, distances like time can be represented in different ways and so mm -hmm. um i 
you know, I spend a lot of time writing software. And so, you know, the things that immediately come to mind is oftentimes how my users are interacting with my software and what those intervals mean for them. Um, you know, does my software inflict a particular interval of time on them? Like, is it something where it's like, um, do they need to, this doesn't happen as much because computers are pretty fast and most of the stuff that people are doing most of the time isn't really like computationally intensive. It's just sort of like data entry or data extraction. Like they're putting data into something or getting data out of something. The actual data transforms where there's like heavy calculation are typically incredibly quick. And so people aren't waiting around the way it used to be. Like, you know, you punch in some numbers and wait for the answer to come back. So um, the intervals of time are oftentimes much more about how long does it take them to do a task? Like how long does it take for them to enter their data? How long does it take for them to Mm -hmm. find and locate and then extract the information that they're trying to get from the program Um, or have the experience? Right. You don't want to, yeah, you don't want to design something that automatically times out before the average person has the opportunity to fill the thing in before it times out. Exactly. Or really just, I want to be aware from a design perspective like it'd be good to be aware of what are the param, you know, how long does it take someone to actually fill this form out before I inflict it on them? Mm-hmm. Like, is there ways that I can make that, you know, is that the barrier to doing this? Is this interval not actually good and conducive for what we're trying to do? Um, you know, like, right. I mean, I, I'm kind of absurdly thinking of like, if I were doing some survey, right? Like I'm writing a survey of like, um, you know, a survey that's basically like, like this would be a perfect example. Like let's say I have a website, which we do. We have the fcbm.io and I was going to say, um, do a user survey. And so if I'm going to inflict a, if inflict this questionnaire on the users of the website, and then I'm going to make this long, like lots of detailed questions about their interaction with the website. That's all about me collecting data about how, how easily it is for them to use. But the absurdity is it's yeah. like people are not going to do the survey if it's so labor intensive that it's just as difficult to use. I, I'm never going to get the data that I want, right? Because I haven't thought about yes. like, well, how long does it actually take? Should be really quick. Yes. Like ask them one question, not 15. Give them, you know, one question, That's, yes or no. Yeah. Like it, I, I understand there's, you know, there's a nuance in designing surveys, absolutely. And there's ways to validate data and there's ways to add, ask leading questions. And there's all kinds of problems with the psychology of, of surveys. But my point in this particular context of design is that you're thinking about those intervals, right? It's not an interval of um, this is a one second or a 15 second or like a, a, a fixed block of time. It's an interval of um, what does this mean to that person? Um, you know, because mm-hmm. each individual, it's like, they may be perfectly happy to take 10 minutes aside to do this, whereas someone else is like 10 minutes is way too long. But that interval for them is more about like, you know, is this an acceptable ask of their personal life? Um, and you yeah. know, and then also like they may be looking to get back out of it. Things like intervals of time, like most of our podcasts are about an hour long between 70, you know, 65, 70 minutes long. And so, um, that's yeah. a particular interval. Like our podcasts have set a pacing of about an hour. That's something that we've just decided is something that we're comfortable having a conversation with each other over about an hour and um, fuck our listeners because we don't have any feedback from them. So we have no idea whether they prefer them shorter or longer. And it doesn't matter at this point because <laughs> we're doing this right now. Um, if anyone ever right. decides to complain and write an email, I'll tell you this. We'll probably listen because I think we've had zero at this point. Um, I mean, this is true. Our, uh, Dana, the, um, the executive assistant, 
I don't, to be honest, I don't know if she's like really fielding emails or not. She hasn't, all I can say is she hasn't told us there's been any complaints, which is fine with me. Um, right. You know, and to be honest, it's like she's just single handedly fighting off a horde of complainers without telling us. (laughs) I didn't want to tell you, but everyone hates it. Yes. Right. Yeah. She's like, I got to keep my job. So I'm just telling right. you, you're doing I like, my job, I like my job, so I'm just not going to pass this on. Right. Yeah. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's the case necessarily, but maybe you never know. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. So intervals of time. And I think, uh, this also makes me think about, um, that there's that foundation called the long now. Yes. I, I was, I, if you didn't bring it up, I was going to bring it up. Okay. Um, I have been really fascinated by uh, their their whole thing. Um, yes, and so we've both kind of came at this, found out about them, and came came at it from different points. Um, I learned about the long now when I was reading about the clock, mm-hmm. uh, which is a um, it's a proposed clock. It's a timepiece that the idea is that it would be um, a minimum human uh, interval of 10 millennia. So that's 10, one a millennia is a, th- a thousand, a, a thousand, thousand years. years. Right. So 10,000 years. Um, mm-hmm. And the idea basically is they want to build this clock like in a way that it will continue to run without human intervention for 10 millennia is the goal. Um, so, but you were like, oh, didn't you know, like they have a bar or something in San Francisco or they have some. Yes. So Brian Eno yeah. of like music hall of fame, Brian Eno. Yeah. Brian Eno is connected to this. Um, he actually made some artwork. There's this like weird, um, it kind of looks like one of those plasma balls where you like touch it and all of the lightning inside the ball oh, uh-huh. goes to your fingertip. Yeah. So it kind of, but it's like digitized. I, it's very hard to explain without like drawing a picture of it. So I'm going to do a bad job, but it's a, a wall hanging and it's got all of this like sort of moving lightning stuff in the background and it's all digitized. And so it looks uh, really cool and it hangs on the wall behind the bar at um, a, a bar called the Interval Bar, which is um, right underneath the um, the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, interesting. So there's like a big park and stuff under there. Yeah. Uh, um, every time we go there, by the time we get to the Interval Bar, I am completely turned around anyway, and so I don't remember which side of San Francisco and the bridge it's on. It's, it's on the side in San Francisco. It's not on the side with the Rainbow Tunnel. Gotcha. So anyway, um, a friend of mine named Lightning always likes to go there. And so if I'm in town in San Francisco and we're, we have time to see each other, we make it a point to go to the interval bar at the long now. And that's what it's called. And, um, it's where I learned to love the taste of vermouth because they make their own and it's super great when it's fresh. And if you order drinks that have vermouth in them from regular bars, usually they have like some old bottle of vermouth that they opened a million years ago. And vermouth actually goes bad once you open it. So you can't do that. You can't just like open it and set it up on a shelf somewhere and wait for the next person to come along to 
pour right. an ounce out of it. Like, right. so I always thought it was disgusting and I stayed away from it, but he was like, no, no, give it another try. So I, I have a soft spot because this particular bar made me love something that I thought that I formerly hated, yeah. which is unusual, but it's such a cool place. Like, it's just a very strange, um, like you, it's decorated a little strange and there's not that much floor space. And so it always has the effect of feeling very crowded, like a crowded party, uh-huh. um, but not like a meat market bar. It's like, uh, it seems to me to be the type of place where you could walk in and see people like, um, famous historical figures in some weird, like, veiled world between life and death and it wouldn't surprise you at all to see them there like it's just a very trippy experience and i really 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 like it so if we're in san francisco again we need to go to this bar just to experience okay the 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 physical space it's really cool um and so what but when you're there it's more um i mean i'm reading about it on wikipedia and they're talking about it basically Uh um they're the founding of the bar, the opening of the bar was designed as a social space for, um, for basically the idea of people, a public space for people to come together and discuss ideas and topics related to the long-term thinking. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's very much salon-y like salon, not in the way of you go to a salon to get your hair done, but salon is in a way that people come and like have a little bit of food. And the whole point is specifically to go there to talk to other people about shit. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I just think that the long now project or the long now foundation, um, is obviously like a, they're kind of talking about, um, thinking and long-term thinking, right? Like thinking well beyond Mm -hmm. this generation or the next generation or the generation after that, but really, really long, long. Yes. Um, or long, long periods of time, uh, which is also very interesting because, you know, humanity is, is such a blip on the radar, evolutionarily speaking, um, for this planet Mm -hmm. compared to any other species that we've known about. Um, yeah, it's interesting that they have a that they set the time frame around ten thousand years because ten thousand years ago is when people kind of started to get their shit together. Yeah, in the way that we think of people now, right? Like sort of like modern in man. cities and right. agriculturally and like historical, yeah, like all written the history so, and all of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, I mean, the long now is probably a whole podcast unto itself. So, I just want to kind of put that as a footnote. Yes. Um, for our, our sort of discussion around intervals and, um, strange intervals of time in particular. Um, so, uh, you've got some more notes. I want, I'm going to actually let you, let you, because I, I did the interval. So oh, heard the long now. Yeah. Um, here's one that my friend Dan and I, um, this is, so my friend Dan and I are friends because we're, very closely aligned in many ways. Geographically, we're neighbors. Um, ideologically, we're very similar. But uh, one thing that unites us in a in friendship is that we agree upon the interval of time that should transpire between when you buy a movie ticket and the time that the movie starts. Uh-huh. So we would go see a lot of movies together, you know, just because we were looking for something to do and we would go to a theater in the Western suburbs of Minneapolis, St. Paul that um, has a 21 plus section and doesn't let kids in, which is what we like. And also is pretty, um, unless it's like a huge blockbuster movie or something like that on opening weekend, it's usually 
pretty sparsely populated, even without kids. Like, yeah, there's just not that many people uh, who go and pay extra for these seats. But we right. will for the convenience of not being around someone's bratty kid. Like, why did you bring that child to this movie situation? And so we will buy our tickets online and then we will get to the theater and print them and then go inside and get food and sit down immediately just in time for the movie to start because we don't want to be hanging around for too much. Right. And so Dan and I agree that the interval of time between when you get the ticket in your hand and when you sit down to watch the movie should essentially be long enough to go to the bathroom, get your food, and then the movie is starting because we don't like being advertised to and we don't like sitting through a bunch of previews from movies we're not going to go see. Sure. Um, and so we try to keep it as tiny an interval as possible. There are other people I know who love to get to the theater like a fucking half hour before the, the previews even start. And I'm like, great, I'm so glad we got here in time to watch like six Pepsi commercials. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm so glad that I paid for the extra opportunity to be advertised to mercilessly right, right. as a captive audience. Um, so that's a, that's a, that's an interval of time. I think some intervals of time can be very contentious if you disagree about the appropriate length of time. Sure. That it should consist. Yeah. Of. I mean, I um, like, I, this makes me think about um, like in the, in the kind of corporate world, the ideas of, what constitutes being early versus being late versus being on time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm usually in the camp of like on time is that window of about plus or minus five minutes around the time that the thing was set for. Um, and then mm-hmm. as you move away from that time, it's more and more appropriate to provide notice or be, make attempts to contact someone to let them know that things have changed. Um, and yeah. then other than that, I don't, you know, and I, I, I strive to be within that, you know, depending on if you're traveling and stuff, there's understanding like on the, on the one hand, it's like, if you're literally sitting in the other room and we said, we're going to do it at 10 o'clock or whatever, let's try and, you know, we're both here. But again, like I'm, I, my point being is I've, I've know people who, um, if you're on time, that's late. And so I get yeah. frustrated because I'm like, well, you, you said five. So I'm here at five. I I get that right. your clock says five oh one, but from my point of view, I'm very prompt. But from their point of view, I needed to be there ten minutes early. In which case, I would argue, then you need to set the time to four fifty, so that I'll be here at four fifty. Right. Yes. Like I I yep. don't mind if you want to leave time for you know a pre you know if you want to have some pre meeting or something then you need to let me know that because i have no way of reading your mind i don't know um yes and it's especially being a contractor which means that i've you know met with a huge variety of different industries and and different you know um like oftentimes i'm meeting with like upper management or you know basically like corporate uh, what do you call them the the c the c group the c suite c suite um Mm-hmm. You know, and so it really, it, it's such a mixed bag. You have no idea who it's really difficult to know um, what people are going to expect, which is why I try to at least the first few meetings, like to set the pace is just always be very, very prompt. Um, but even that, but then it's frustrating when it's like you're being dinged for being prompt or, and yeah, and, but being too early from my point of view is like much more damaging oftentimes, you know, um, really well within like 10 minutes is fine. But showing up half an hour early okay. somewhere is really inappropriate. Like, the, the, you know, if I show up half an hour early, yeah, my expectation is like, I don't care about your time. I'm going to come early and expect to be entertained or something. It's like, no, I'm going to show up at the time we decided. 
Like that's the point. There were some meetings that I would go to that I had to me and the other people who were uh, like showing up to participate yeah. in the moving in the meeting in person right. would come from all over the place sure. in in California. So um, just there's the issue of. I was living in Minnesota and doing work in California. And so I would have to actually, my interval of time for that meeting consisted of three days over a long weekend. Sure. It was not just the two hours right, or four right. hours of meeting. It was get on a plane Friday afternoon after work, fly to fucking San Francisco, get picked yeah. up from the airport, go to a meeting the next day, right. end the meeting, and then fuck around until I got a flight back home at the end of the weekend. Yeah. And so my interval of time had a lot of margin for error. Yeah. Uh, it was like, oh, well, sometime in the next three days, I'm going to be at this meeting. But the rest of the time around those two hours is like, who knows where I'll be? Um, and then there were other people in the meetings who had to come from all over in the Bay Area, which is in itself hyper unpredictable sure. in terms of timing. Yep. And so, like, people would show up. Like you're saying, it, incredibly rude. People would just show up like a half hour early and just like mill around in the office space, like waiting for a meeting to start. And it's like, you can't go get a fucking cup of coffee. Like you have to burden right, everyone with right. your like unattended presence, just like hanging around like a ghost in the office. Like, what are you doing here? And so I always found that like interesting because on one hand, it was like, I can nail the arrival time within five minutes and I'm coming from 2000 miles away. Why can't you figure yeah, it out? Yeah. And that's kind of my point. It's like, I oftentimes, if I know that I'm coming from very far away, I am definitely going to get to the site early, but I'm not going to yeah. infringe myself upon them or impinge, like impinge on their time until the time yeah. that we agreed upon. Now, once I know someone and it's been established, it's like, oh, hey, we have a waiting area or, you know, they've texted me and they're like, just let me know when you get here. Um, absolutely, yeah. all fine and good. But if it's unknown and it's just kind of like walking in off the street, it's like, I'm going to sit in my car or like you said, like go get a coffee. And oftentimes like I'm going to set it up and be there half an hour early. I'm half an hour early to the site, but then I go over to the coffee right. cart or something and I get myself a coffee and like, you kill your own I kill time. my own time or make use of it as, as yeah. said, but I'm not going to go expect them to see me and be there like pacing, like weirdly, like in the lobby or something. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, right. uh, but you know, to get back to the interval of time, um, this is to my mind, like, it's just a, it's an interesting problem. And I think you're, when you're talking about the movie theater, I think that's also having contention, right? Like that contention of who, you know, do we agree that an interval of time should be what it is? And oftentimes that right. disagreement is like the source of strife, right? Um, like is what mm -hmm. I was getting at with the business world is like, you know, some people expect you to be five minutes early means you're on time. And if you're there on time, you're late and other people feel like, Oh, yeah. anywhere between like half an hour is not late, which I'm like, well, you know, depends if you're flying from somewhere else, you're driving traffic. But again, um, you know, or also times just depends on the length of the, the meeting. But I often find like, that's just not that critical to actually doing business. Um, it's yeah. actually usually more about the work getting done. And if the work getting done is just having meetings, then you're probably not doing a lot of work. The, if, it's funny because like the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of individual variation around what people find is acceptable with regard to like start and stop times and intervals of yeah. time in business. Um, there's also a lot of cultural variation from one organization to the yeah. next. For example, yeah. The meetings that I went to in San Francisco started right on fucking time. Yeah. Like 
if we say the meeting starts at 10, we have an agenda that's measured out by minutes. Yes. So we will spend exactly three minutes talking about this topic. Right. And if we need more than that, it's going to have to be another meeting because we're moving the fuck right. on. Um, and so the meetings that I went to there in San Francisco were generally extremely well run. Yep. At least they were timely and they stuck to the timing and the timing was planned out ahead of time. Like it was very clear what the expectation was. Meetings at my day job in Minneapolis were the opposite of that. Um, Everybody worked in the same building. We worked on two floors of the building and we would go down to the basement to have big meetings because it was the only place that we had enough open space that everyone could sit together in the same room. And so... People would like trickle in around, you know, between 10 minutes early before the meeting's supposed to start and even like 15 minutes after we were supposed to be in the room talking about stuff. And usually the meeting would get started when somebody, somebody, it it didn't matter who, one of the 40 people working in the office would be like, well, I guess maybe should we get started? And you're like, oh my God, you're fucking killing me right now. Like. I could have gotten on a plane and flown to California and had a meeting in the Bay Area in the time it's going to take you to start this fucking meeting about nothing here in Minnesota. (laughs) Yeah. And everybody was like totally copacetic with that. Like a meeting was an excuse to fuck off for 20 minutes before you got your shit together and forced everybody to listen to you. And it was awful. Like like the expectation (laughs) meetings were like when they, when they wheel in the AV cart into your like grade school classroom and you're like, yes, we're not going to have to do anything for the next half hour, hour or however long this video is. And you know that there's going to be time wasted, like sitting up the AV cart and making sure that the video works. And there's going to be some problem with the tracking on the VHS tape or if you were, you know, anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting interval and even in and of itself is that interval of time in a school day that is, uh, you know, depending on the teacher you got, um, and this has nothing to do with teachers. I mean, it's just like, it's also about the support they have, which was just like, how long does it take them to struggle with whatever equipment they've been inflicted that's been inflicted upon them so that they can do (laughs) whatever this newfangled thing is that they're supposed to be doing to teach. Um, and then as a kid experiencing that, you're like, Oh yeah. Like, well, I, as a kid, cause my, I did not get school. Like I didn't understand the the reason for it or why I was there. And so it was incredibly yes. difficult, painful experience for me. Um, and so I, uh, anything like that was always like of incredible interest to me. Like, Oh, how long is it going to take for them to figure out how the VCR works or how to figure out how to get this thing to do whatever it's supposed to do? Um, yeah, yeah. So, we're burning daylight. We're burning daylight, which to me was great because anything that was postponing the inevitable pain and suffering of the learning, the the quote learning experience that I was supposed to be having was always great for me. Um, yeah. So, I I hear that. I totally. Um, I think my school days were like. Uh, from all all of them, from start to finish, all of the time I was ever in school outside of higher education, which was great. Um, But like elementary and secondary education was fucking terrible. And every day was broken up into intervals of time that were of more or less um, difficulty. Like the interval of time first thing in the morning where I had like calculus and and had to be, I knew I, I had like 50 or 52 minutes or something of just drudgery. Uh-huh. Um, whereas like the interval of time for lunch was the interval of time that I decided to take a study hall because it was extra long. <laughs> right. right. 
like, I think I was also traumatized. Like every day was just a cascading series of time intervals that I hated. And it was uh, awful. Sure. Yeah. Um, I also felt like sympathetic to you. So I was going to ask you, like when you say I didn't understand the purpose of school, I have a lot of sympathy for that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was always really good at school. Yeah. Like I'm good at academics and good at getting good grades and good at giving you the answer that you want to hear in order for me to have the transaction of getting a grade that lets me get out of your class. And so like everything had a very transactional quality to Uh me, um, which when you frame an education process should probably not great. Like you're probably not going to teach very well if everything's a transaction between you and your students. Um, Yeah. Like, I mean, school was... For me, it was um, because I had uh, ADHD so bad and and our understanding Uh of that has become more and more clear over time. Um, And the current understanding as as I've understood it is that it has to do with um, my prefrontal cortex not firing the same way that like neurotypical people do. And so um, Mm -hmm. I have what it means is that it's very difficult for me to pay attention to things that are... um, very mundane or regular. And so school, yes, very, yep. school is a very low stimulating environment for me. Um, yes. traditionally, um, you know, things have changed, like methods of schooling have changed a lot since then. But, um, like when I was growing up, it was very much, um, pretty bland, very dry. And so it's very, 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 very difficult for me to absorb any information that way because it doesn't like mm-hmm. my mind is starving. And so, sitting in a desk having to sit still not move and pay attention and not make loud noises or not make distractions or do anything like that is torture for me mentally right my brain yes. is screaming at me for stimulation and so um yeah because of that it meant that i my performance in school was really bad which meant i felt bad about myself because i was constantly being told like why can't you do this and i don't know the answer right i don't understand you know it's if i get the intensity of someone focused on me like a teacher being like i'm going to make you learn this and they sit down and they like work me through the problems and they're like see you can do this and they show themselves mm-hmm. they prove to themselves that my brain is not broken and i can understand that math problem or whatever it is and i can actually excel at it then they turn around and are upset at me for not applying myself right and their their focus yeah. is like try harder which is um what we've learned at least with ADHD is the thing that you can't do that's not going to fix the problem you can't try harder don't yeah. try harder at this thing you can't go in that direction you're going to have to do something else and so um school was just like i'm like i this doesn't i this is a non-starter for me i'm not learning anything in this regard um i'm not able to retain the information it's a torturous painful experience of not doing my homework at home Mm -hmm. and showing up the next day and being chastised or punished for not doing my homework um most of my like most of my getting in trouble at school revolved around me not doing work that i was supposed to be doing or not behaving in that way i wasn't necessarily um like confrontational with teachers or like particularly like an asshole. I just was kind of, you know, I mean, occasionally if you're just not applying yourself, yeah, I'm just not applying myself, which meant that I, you know, the punishments made this condition worse, right? Oftentimes the punishments meant that I didn't get the exercise I needed because I'm being punished. So I don't get to go to recess or whatever it is. Um, cause those are rewards and you you know, and I'm not being rewarded. And so really quickly I just learned, I was like, well, then none of it. I'm not doing it. I'm not participating. And so I didn't participate in school. Um, I didn't go. 
right. whenever I could. Um, I mean, I ditched, I started ditching school in like second grade, I think, which people are like, what? Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I basically yeah. like regularly, like I, there's probably few weeks that went by that I went to an entire week of school. Um, See, you and I are similar in some ways, but different in others. Like, for example, like school was absolute torture for yeah. me. But for me, it wasn't because it was super boring. I mean, that was a huge consideration. Sure. Like, I was very bored in school a lot of the yeah. time. But that wasn't the thing that made it torture for me. What made it torture was that the entire process of learning was couched in the language of success or failure. Yep. And I was so terrified of failing right? for reasons we won't get into here. Sure. Um, that I feel like everything I retained from school was imprinted on me as a form of trauma. Sure. Because it was, it, it was, there was always something terrifying about not knowing the answer. And so the answers stuck in there because there was like a, trauma-associated memory (laughs) attached to it. And so I I also find, like, you know, in your case, what I was going to say is, like, you were unsatisfied with this, with the environment of school as a place that you could learn and also with the quality of the education that you were receiving subsequent to that because it wasn't being taught to you in a way that you could actually learn from. And so you had, like, a twofold problem. I think... I don't think that I have ADD or ADHD. I don't think I necessarily have any of the identifiable characteristics. And I've never had, uh, I've never experienced um, like fallout from me not being able to focus or, or things like you've described about your own experiences. But I got so fucking bored and I was so panicked all of the time that paying attention was hard Mm -hmm. Um, because it was like, there were just too many things to pay attention to and none of them really counted for much like it was just lists and lists and lists of memorizing things yeah um i don't know so i i also i'm on the other end of the spectrum from you because it was very easy for me to give the answers that were required of me it was very easy for me to physically be present for an entire day of school but mentally i was just going nuts inside being there. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's um, something a lot of people identify with. Is just the sort of there is a. Certain, it feels like prison. It does feel like prison, um, which is ironic yeah. because so many schools have been built by contractors who also then built the prisons, or vice versa. <laughs> yeah, like everything about it is just demoralizing and dehumanizing yeah. and whatever. Yeah. So, like, there's a huge interval of time. The first eighteen years of my life. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just a right, washout right. but they had um yeah like that was definitely um my i was gonna say that to tie this into the intervals of time is uh, my experience of school was oftentimes an interval of time which was the time between when i stepped onto campus and sat in the classroom and the time that i got to go home was um yeah this period of like intense inter inner inner imagination retreat, right? Like I would just retreat into my mind as much as possible yeah. because I couldn't cope with anything else that was going on around me. Um, not, right. not in any meaningful way, right? Like it wasn't, you know, it didn't, it couldn't yeah. help me. So, um, anyway, uh, I think, um, you've got some other notes here. That, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Like we were, we were sort of talking about, <laughs> so here's a humorous one. Yes. 
Um, but that also sort of ties into what we're talking about here. So things that are taxing and mentally exhausting yeah. um, are things that you can't necessarily do back to back. And so there's like an intellectual refractory period where it's like, okay, I the time it takes me to do this one thing and then do it again later. The the space in yeah. between is the amount of time um, that we're referring to. So for instance, we like to play Scrabble a lot, but I usually lose because for some reason um, I get really fixated on like getting the perfect word in a specific space yeah. or using specific letters on my board. And I just get totally You're like, tied talking about up playing um, Scrabble with uh, your boyfriend. Yes. And so he usually beats me. Um, either by a small margin or a very large one. It doesn't matter, but I almost never win. And so the amount of time between Scrabble games is the amount of time it takes my ego to recover right. from yeah. the last bruising and yeah. like be willing to play the game again in the like vain hope that I might actually win this time. Right. And I, um, yeah, I think that's funny. I kind of relate to that a little bit too. Um, I play chess online um, with two of my friends and one of my friends, I regularly am the winner of those chess games and the other friend, I'm like pretty much always the loser of those chess games. And so, um, I have this sort of like, it's funny when you win, it's like, you're like, I want to do that again. Cause it's just one, you know? Um, although my experience with, yeah. with that game has changed a little bit now. Cause we play, we play really like, oftentimes we have like multiple games going at once and, um, and we play so speaking of intervals we usually play these games with um like a time a time interval of about four days is required so uh per move so like i can sit on it for four days and not forfeit the game as long as i make a move within four days so these are like you know happen over Mm -hmm. weeks and things and um but the the intervals are interesting like those intervals between each get like the start of one game and the end of that game and the start of another game and um, depending on whether I win or lose, like how, how quickly I'll make my first move in the next game. Um, you know, before uh-huh. I'm ready to like face the reality, it's like, you know, if I lose to my friend, which I often just lose all the time, um, I'm always like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm like, I like, I'm, they're interesting games and I don't, it's not the level of Scrabble with me where it's like, you're sitting down and it's like, you're just frustrated that you lost again. Um, I enjoy uh-huh. playing them with him because we, uh, even though I just regularly lose, it's always interesting to see the moves that he makes and that, you know, I'm learning, it's learning experience and it's fine. Um, anyway, intervals is, yeah. uh, it's a funny, that, but that refractory period of like having to like prop your ego back up and be like, okay, you can do this. <laughs> like you're going to face it again. It's going to be fine and not be demoralized or just be like, I'm never playing this stupid game again and throwing pieces on the floor. Um, Flipping, flipping tables. tables exactly uh, <laughs> um, yeah it's we have like we have really weird intervals of time around this podcast too we do because the podcast to all outward uh outward observation is about an hour long and it comes out every monday right yeah. but there have been times where we'll record one podcast at a time there have been times rarely but more recently lately um where we have to re-record a podcast because I can't figure out how to use the internet to talk to you and record myself at the same time. And so, um, like it looks fairly regular and cyclical on the outside, but on the inside, we usually do like weekends where we get together and record a whole bunch of them at once or something because we live so far away from each other that we have to kind of do these 
pushes, right, right. Uh, these creative pushes and do a lot of art and do a lot of recording all at once and then release that over time yes. over a month or two. And so um, that's something that our interval for doing podcasts between me and you and recording them has become more regular than it was before. Yeah. And slightly truncated like we're only recording one or two at a time instead of doing eight over a weekend or something like that right right which is really interesting yeah it's been really interesting to me too i mean we're starting to kind of get into a little bit of a groove of doing this um but it is it seems very sensitive like if the um if there's much of a delay between the audio like between our communication um it can really break our cycle and like kind of just be difficult to like even lay down a a reasonable (laughs) podcast um which is another yeah. thing like that interval, yeah. like other weird pacing intervals, like like having pauses between um, in conversation between two people, like between yeah. you and I, like we have our own pacing when we have conversations. Um, and it also seems to it strikes me that we also have pacing between you and I in our conversations based on the um, the kind of information we're discussing. Like sometimes we're discussing a topic that um like we had that discussion earlier about sort of corporate hiring culture and in those instances like we seem to have pacing where we let each other say whole complex thoughts before we pick up and start our other side but then when we have other conversations where we're just kind of discussing like the mundaneness of like growing a garden or like whatever particular activity we're doing or some funny thing like that happens much more quickly. We're much more likely to be interruptive of each other because we know that the other person isn't necessarily doing a lot of like heavy intellectual lifting. And so it's not going to be disruptive to be like, wait, let me just point this out or whatever it is. Um, So (laughs) I do enjoy that. Like, and I think that's something that's like makes for great friendships and discussions is like when you find two people like when you're with somebody who's like you know meeting you at that level um and and willing to entertain those kinds of intervals uh is pretty fascinating Mm -hmm. to me as well um i did want to kind of point out like we've talked a little bit around stuff and i did want to kind of point out like how the strange time intervals also we can't not talk about sort of biological intervals of of um Mm -hmm. you know uh, like moods, like you might feel like much more energized. Like, you know, if you're, if you find yourself in a good pattern that works for you where you're getting enough sleep and you're getting enough, you're just doing enough during the day that it's not draining you more than you can like provide to the next day. And you're kind of like, you know, things Mm -hmm. are balanced and well, and that's always a fun time to be in that space. Um, but then it's also interesting when those things get disrupted or when you have to try and fit your biology into a weird box that other people are just like not aware of. Um, you know, like a lot of people I imagine now are thinking about their own relationship to their sort of corporate America work ethic or work, work environment, um, where they're having to spend time commuting and now they're not. And now they're like faced with like, um, an existence that is entirely disruptive of that inner, their normal pacing of life. Um, and so right. I think, yeah, that's, that's really what made me want to do this podcast now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that that's something that, um, I would encourage people to think about and like discuss, like, I mean, what, you know, how is it different from what you had before? And I, I know, um, there seems to be a little bit of 
a little bit more flexibility, especially in younger corporations or young, younger sort of financial endeavors or like business business entities where, um, you know, flexibility on hours and flexibility on sort of work, uh, work ethics and things like that, where, um, which I think is good because, uh, it's unreasonable to imagine that everyone has like a biological clock that fits the 40 hour work week really well. Um, you know, that's yeah. not, that's not realistic. I mean, I, and that changes for people. I mean, I have stints where it's like a 60 hour work week is nothing. I'm like, yep, I am on fire and I'm really feeling creative and I just want to pour myself into this work. And I, you know, I'm energized by mm-hmm. it. You know, I feel good about that body yes. of work afterwards. I'm like really excited about it, but I also recognize that that's not, um, reasonable, right? I mean, that's unsustainable necessarily. I mean, it might sustainable it's, for a while. Yeah. But. I mean, uh, it all, I think it all depends. Like when I, there are some jobs that I've had where I would work 14 hours a day. And then there's some days where I would work 14 hours, but that was divided into different jobs when I had like sure. <clears throat> a full-time job and several part-time jobs or when I was working full-time and going to school full-time and had a part-time job or whatever, where I, I would spend all of my waking time working on projects or working for other people. Yeah. Um, and now I spend all of my time working on my stuff and, and that's, um, it was an adjustment to go from having somebody else impose a schedule on you, which you might bristle at to imposing your own schedule on yourself. Yeah. Um, I find I can manage my time pretty well most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, like it, it just isn't a struggle for me. I just know what I have to do and I just get it done. And I know about how long it takes me to do certain things. And so I can plan my time out pretty easily. But, um, <clears throat> I think like uh, to your point, the, the imposition of a 40 hour work week seems super archaic to me at this time. Um, it did before everybody was put in quarantine. Yeah. Uh, it did when I was working 40 hour weeks. And I, the only thing that I can think about it is that business is so ego driven. Yeah. Um, you got to have a building and put your company's name on the building and everybody's got to come to the building to see the building you bought with all the money you made from your business that you put your name on. Right. Like, it's just so dumb. I think. And it's such a lie that everybody has to show up in the same place and burn all their gas to get there and then fucking use a paper filing cabinet for shit's sake. I mean, it's just so dumb. Yeah. I think also there's that issue of, um, there's kind of this like false comparison of even just like productivity, like, well, I'm working a 60 hour work week, you know, why aren't you? And I'm, you know, and I'm doing all this stuff and I, and like, I think that it's, you can't think of it in terms of like, I imagine like some basically like you imagine like a farming community, not, not modern times, but like, you know, basically there are jobs to be done. Like if you're on a farm, there's jobs to be done. There's basically manual labor to be done like this. It's already prescribed what needs to happen. The fields need to be plowed and then the seeds need to be sown. And then, you know, water needs to be either applied or diverted or whatever needs to happen. Livestock needs to be maintained all of these jobs. And you have some, um, you know, social, collection of people who are doing this, some cohort of people that are doing it. And, um, it's in that situation where we're all doing it for our survival, like our group survival, it's understandable why people would be frustrated that it's like, Oh, well I did way more work than the person next to me. And I think that Mm -hmm. that carries over into our current sort of corporate culture that, 
is a it's super false because probably the people who are making the most money are doing the least amount of labor or any kind of like intellectual work as well. Um, it's not to uh-huh. say that's not to say that that's like a, I'm not trying to say like a sweeping statement that they're all like that or that that's just the nature of the business or that they, um, you know, you can argue all the things about them having greater responsibility. And so, yes, like most of the time it seems easier for them, but their, their sort of responsibility is greater or whatever it is. But I think that, just in general, it's kind of a broken system because we already know that there's differences between people. Like people are stronger or weaker than other people. Some people have more capacity for a particular kind of task than others. And we also live in a society that generally has so much excess that most of us could probably be working a lot less and have a very easy life if we all sort of got on board with doing that Um, and still be making great strides towards, you know, economic gain or whatever you want to call progress, whatever that means. Uh, Let me put it this way. Please do. I was required to show up for 40 hours a week, sit at my desk or stand and work on stuff. Right. Yep. What that stuff was, nobody fucking knew. Yeah. Nobody could tell me. I basically did my job completely independent of any kind of directive from anybody. Yeah. And I did that for nine solid years. And do you know how much time I actually spent working on work stuff? I, I can imagine. Maybe 20 hours a week. Right. Maybe. And that's not because I was a slacker. It's because the workload associated with doing the job that I was doing really only filled up 20 hours a week Mm -hmm. of actual hands-on work. But there was a lot of waiting around and a lot of preparation and a lot of stuff. And it was either slammed or I was dead. And so the cycles of the job, Mm -hmm. the actual cycles of the work that needed to be done did not align with the cycle that they had me on where I was required to be at a place at a time. And so that became really frustrating. And I know that this is the case because I was literally the only person in the company who did my job. And I did that particular job that I'm referring to for nine, five of the nine years that I worked there, maybe six of the nine years that I worked there, actually. And so I was the only person doing the job. And it would have been very, very, very clear if the objectives of my job were not being met because they were essential to the function of the company. And I was also the only one doing them. So I couldn't disguise whether or not it had gotten done by saying like somebody else did it or didn't do it. It was all on me. And so the job got done for six years in a row on time, all of the time, thoroughly with a high degree of proficiency. Mm -hmm. And I only spent 20 hours a week working on it, but I got paid for 40. Right. And that's kind of, um, like that, that cuts both ways in my mind. There's that issue of, um, that the lesson from that, I, or what I, my point is, I don't want to take away from that saying, Oh, that means that you need to be cut down to 20 hours a week. Thinking that, right, thinking right. that, that, um, the, the like sort of the mythical man month idea, right? The guy who wrote that book about the mm-hmm. idea that it's like, if you have this many man hours, this much work gets done. Um, especially, it's a lie. especially in an intellectual environment or a creative environment, but even in a, in an entirely man labor or man person labor environment, um, it's yeah. not, uh, it's not real because you have, there's like, you know, Speaking of idioms, um, what was it? Someone recently <laughs> said to me, um, no, no plan survives facing the enemy or something like that with the idea that it's like when you're actually faced with the reality of the work that needs to be done, there's always problems that need to be solved. And there's, um, 
you know, that's the issue of, you know, humans are not robots and treating humans that way is not right. good for us in any way, ourselves, anyone involved, right. as far as I can tell. Yes. But um, I feel like that's a different rant that gets away from the, tire, the, the time <laughs> intervals quite a bit. And um, I do want to just... Well, complaining about how things are designed is kind of our thing. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I definitely want to wrap this one up by finishing on this sort of humor experience, a humorous experience of... Um, Shopping, and I don't think we need to mention the store so much as we can just talk about the experience of shopping for uh, going to eat cheese uh-huh. in San Francisco. And I, I think uh-huh. I should let you tell this one, but it is a very interesting. <laughs> well, you describe this in your notes as um, the time it takes to recover from this experience, but I would argue that there's some interesting intervals even inside of that. But I want you to tell the story, and then I'll, I, having been there, I will add my okay. my flavor to it, and we can kind of wrap up with that. So, um, like I mentioned earlier, finding a bathroom in the Bay Area is impossible. And this is not uh, a problem of plumbing. This is not a problem of a lack of businesses that would normally have a bathroom that anywhere else would be considered publicly usable. This is a cultural problem uh, centered around Silicon Valley and uh, the place on the planet with some of the highest, inexcusably high rents. So um, the, the way that I wrote this down uh, for this particular conversation was the interval of time it will take a non-Californian to recover fully from engaging with a Californian in a transaction of any kind and time dilates if it involves finding a bathroom. So <laughs> we went out one evening yes. and it was me and you and two of our friends yep. and you and one of our friends uh, are native Californians and the other two of us are not. Right. And so uh, me and the other non-Californian both had very challenging experiences just ordering dinner um one of us because it got absurd instantly which was me and the other of us because they weren't even sure um what what the items on the menu were describing and so they had a lot of questions about what actually went into making the food um and the the other person of us has an allergy to eggs and so the question uh, was around whether there were eggs included in any of the ingredients and the items on the menu. And so that was a pretty straightforward, like, functional question. My question was more uh, abstract, apparently. Yeah. I thought it was straightforward, but it clearly was not. So we went and we ordered. I ordered a cheese plate. Like, you decide which. This is a fancy, fancy cheese place. Yeah. And it's delightful and wonderful and amazing and highly recommend it. But anyway. And um, also, to be clear, we were, you walk up to a counter to order, like a register, and then you go sit down, take right, a number so and sit it's down. A counter. It's a counter style. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a menu on the wall. You order at the counter. They take your order. They give you a number. And then eventually they bring your food right. out to you or they call your number and you go pick yep. it up either way. Depends on how busy they are. So I went up and I ordered a very straightforward menu item, five samples of the cheese of the day, whatever they wanted to give yes. me. And I asked if I could get a glass of white wine to go with the cheese. Yeah. And they said, well, what kind of wine do you want? And I said something to the effect of, well, I don't know. What do you have? And the guy at the counter says, well, if I gave you uh, I said, do you have a recommendation? Yes, that's right. You asked for And he said, well, if I gave you a recommendation, that would essentially be like a pairing. And I was like, so you're not going to do that? Like, I don't under... Okay, do you want me to call it a pairing? Like, do you have advice for a pairing? Like, what do you mean? Well, what kind of wine do you like? And I was like, I... Just white wine is fine. Like, if you have a house white or if you have, like, 
I don't care. White wine. And he's like, well, wait, do you like things that are sweet or do you like funky? And I was like, I don't know. And he goes, well, why don't you taste no, them? No, and I was you like, you said, just give me either one the of them. The way he said funky, you were like, well, that sounds interesting. Sure. Like you were being very agreeable. You were like, yes, that's fine. Yeah. I was just like, yeah. whatever. Just give me one of the two wines that you have that are not red. Yeah. Like I, it really doesn't matter. And so he made a big deal out of it being like an issue of a pairing. And so I was like trying to be really accommodating and just get to the chase, you know, cut to the chase and be like, great, I'll take yeah. that one. And so I said, oh, I like funky things. Funky's fine. Yeah. Right. He's like, well, we wouldn't want to give you something that you don't like and have it be wasted on you. Right. So then he's like, I'm going to get you a sample. You're going to have to try it. So, yeah. So then he insisted on getting two fucking glasses and pouring two tiny little sips of wine. And meanwhile, like the line is going out the door behind us. And I look like some difficult fucking person because all I wanted was a glass of white wine. But he's not going to let me have a glass of white wine on his advice. And he's not going to let me order one without trying them both first. So I do that. And I try the one that out of the two of them, I'm presuming is the funky one because it's fairly funky. And I was like, this one's great, actually. I will take a glass of this. And he's like, well, be sure and try well, the you, other one. So I had to try the other but one. But then you said, you were like, is this the funky one? Oh, right. And he says. He goes, he goes well, I wouldn't say that. I, I don't know if I would call it funky. Yeah. And I'm like, that's your fucking word, man. Right. Like, you said it. I'm trying to agree with you anyway. So I finally, I finally got the wine, yes. right? And, and I, I got the food and it came out to the table and it was great. And then our friends showed up after us and were in line. And so our friend gets the same guy at the counter and he asks if there's like eggs in the in, bread, in the bread. Um, in, yeah, in, because he wanted, he didn't know what raclette was, but he was thinking about maybe getting raclette yep. and he wanted to get a sandwich, but he didn't know if there were eggs in the bread. And then the question of whether there were eggs in the bread became like a monumental quest for an answer. Like nobody there knew whether they put eggs in their bread. Usually there aren't eggs in bread. And so we all assumed it was a safe assumption that there weren't eggs but we weren't sure because he actually has like a fairly deadly allergy to it and we would have had to go to the hospital if he had eaten eggs by accident and the guy at the counter was like i don't know if there's eggs in this and he goes well can you check and the guy's like well i guess i could ask and he's like okay well go do that and so the guy like turns around to another person behind the counter and he's like are there eggs in this bread and the lady's like i don't know and he turns back to our friend and goes i don't know and he's like okay i'm just gonna stay away from that menu item since you don't eat like it's literally the job of the people working there to know what's in the fucking food Like if you talk, if you ask think, them any details about any of the cheese, they will tell you exactly what's in that fucking cheese and who made it and how, what sheep it came right. from and what the strain of mold is growing in. Like they will tell you more shit than you ever want to know about fucking cheese, but they don't know if there's eggs in their yeah. bread. Give me a break. Yeah. And so this guy, our poor friend is like, okay, well maybe I'll try like what's raclette? What's in that? Right. And he came from a very sheltered background. And so there are just some things that he hasn't been exposed to. These are simple, straightforward questions. He's not being an asshole and he didn't ask in a way that was impatient. And the guy at the counter was like, it seems like you may be a little confused about what to order. So why don't you just wait over there until you decide uh, yeah. and like pushed him out of line yeah, it was so obnoxious <laughs> and he ended up like coming and sitting at the table with us and i could tell that he was like bewildered or like something had happened uh. and i was like 
what's wrong? And he repeats the story, and I was like, okay, you didn't witness this because you hadn't shown up yet, but I had a very similar experience, except mine wasn't over eggs and bread. It was over what fucking constitutes a funky wine. <laughs> and it was like, we shared our stories with each other, and both of us were just like, what is happening right now? And I swear to God, it's because we don't speak California. Yeah, and I like I don't disagree because I... Um, our other friend who's from California who actually lives in the Bay Area, she and I were just like, did not have that problem. We, we, we knew how to yeah. navigate it such that we never triggered any of the, the confusion or the problems that both you and our other friend who's not from California both just stumbled upon those landmines like immediately. Um, and it, like, I'm just struggling to find the right words to say to you. So you give me a glass of wine right. and a plate of and cheese. Like, it's really simple. It was really hilarious to watch it unfold and how everything you said led to like more questions and more confusion for, for the server. Um, and the thing about it yes. was, I, like, this was, I didn't, I personally, I was like, if, if I'd been the server, I'd be like, Oh, I got it. Like, here's some, here's two recommendations. Here you go. Try those real quick or not. You know, if you really, if you're sure, no problem. Here you go. Yeah. We only have two wines. Here's a sip of either yes, of them. Would exactly. you like one of them? That's all you had to say. Right. And so, um, anyway, I just think- get into a fucking semantics <laughs> argument over the use of the word funky. Oh, so great. Especially considering he was God, the one who introduced so it into the conversation in the first place. Um, so as a funky wine, as a funky right? Wine. I would not have called it no, that. No, but whatever. And apparently neither Insane. would he. Later. Yeah. Very. Neither would he either because 2 seconds later he's like, "Well, I wouldn't call it funky. You just fucking right. did." Anyway, um okay, so yeah. uh So it's going to be a while before I have the like intestinal fortitude to suffer through that kind of a situation again. Like the movie Wine Country with Amy Poehler and Tina Fey yes. and all of the Rachel Dratch and all those people. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's, I watched it and it wasn't funny to me because it was too close to home at sure, the time. Sure. But it's, it's quintessential. Yes. Anyway. Um, yeah. And so you yeah. could even say, we don't actually know how long the interval of time is to recover from that because we're still doing it. It hasn't. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet. yet. Hasn't finished yet. We're still, we're still, doing, in, we're still in the thick interval, of it. Right. All right. So uh, I see you also have on your notes um, that you have this week's tip for living well in hell, which I think we can kind of wrap up. So if you want to just finish with that. and we can- Yes. So um, this one is actually I borrowed also. So I, I borrowed inspiration from Chad Walker for the um, the conversation about idioms. And this week's tip for living well in hell comes from uh, one of my favorite artists, Henry Rollins. And it's from a song he wrote while in the Rollins band <clears throat> called, excuse me, called Burp, right <laughs> in the microphone. Um, it's called Shine. And the lyrics are, no such thing as spare time, no such thing as free time, no such thing as downtime. All you got is lifetime. Go. And I really like that. I really like that as well. Yeah. And I think that's um, more important to keep in mind now more than ever um, because this isn't, you know, we're not. I think a lot of people think of like this time as being like, Oh, you have a lot of free time. You should get a lot done. And it's not, it's not free time. This is quarantine time. Um, you know, or, or self. Yeah. It's a self isolation. So it's, it's, it's whatever you can manage to make sense out of it. I think because like for some of us who live in a lot of overlapping liminal spaces and who have a lot of self-directed creative time, a day doesn't, uh, you know, a work day. Yeah. 
doesn't actually fit into a prescribed eight and a half hour period with a lunch halfway through and you don't repeat it every single day. It can, right. like you were saying, it could be 60 hours of consecutive work or it could be one hour a day for several yep. days or whatever. Right. But the point is, uh, liminal spaces, especially ones created by some kind of rite of passage that's like, um, involves life and death is you just have to make whatever sense out of it you can and just not be upset with yourself for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think that's it. Um, I mean, we could probably talk forever about weird intervals of time, but I think we'll call this one good. You have anything else to add? I could complain about California forever. I know that. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a whole separate podcast. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, California. That's what we'll call right? it. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Well, anyway, thank you everyone for listening and, um, we appreciate you guys uh, following us and doing your things, and I hope you're enjoying it. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye. Yay, hang in there. Yeah. Oh, wash your hands. Go wash your hands. Yeah. All right. Okay, bye. Okay. <laughs>